0: All right, well, good morning, church. Um, The beginning of every month, we try to do uh, communion, and we alternate Sundays and Wednesdays. And so June, we're going to be doing the Sunday uh, today or this morning. And so as the uh, deacons and elders uh, pass uh, a cup out, uh, just please wait, and we all take communion together. So um, we'll just wait for that, and then we'll get started. All right, well, let's um, open up with a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just come before you this morning, Lord, uh, in humble appreciation of you and your sacrifice, Lord, uh, of your son's sacrifice, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for that, Lord. We, uh, <clears throat> just as we we're singing your praises and glorifying you, Lord, uh, we, uh, our desire is just to commune with you and, and just to be closer with you, Lord. Uh, so we give all the honor and glory and praise to you. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> the whole point of um, taking communion is to celebrate and remember Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. Uh, this celebration is designed for us to recognize that his death was for our salvation and to celebrate what he has done for us. It's also a time of, for reflection. In 1 Corinthians 11:28, 28, Paul writes that a man is to examine himself, and then so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. God calls us to com- come to communion with a repentant heart and desire to be right with him meaning we are to repent of our sins and to seek to be right by him. Uh, commune is a time, communion is a time for repentance, remembrance, and reflection. In Ma- Matthew twenty 26, I'll read, and then we will partake together. <clears throat> and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we remember your broken body, Lord, as you carried your cross to the hill, Lord, to be sacrificed, Lord, for our sins, Lord. And you did this willingly, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, for that gift. In your name we pray. Amen. Please partake. And in Matthew 26:27 through 29, then he took the cup and gave thanks <clears throat> and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we remember the blood that you shed, Lord. You knew from the beginning of time, Lord, that you would be making the sacrifice and that you chose it willingly, Lord. The shedding of your blood. For the remission of our sins, Lord. And we thank you for that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Please partake. Uh, let us pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, again, we just we, we thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Each and every day, Lord. Help us to just remember you, Lord, and and just give thanks and honor to you, Lord. Uh, we remember and are thankful for your sacrifice on the cross. And help us, Lord, to take a constant inventory of our hearts and repent of our sins daily, Lord. Our heart's desire is to be there in heaven with you when you drink from the cup once again with your Father. We give all the glory and honor to you. Amen.
1: All right. Well, we are in Micah chapter 4. And as you turn to Micah chapter 4, I'm going to turn to John chapter 4 because I can. (laughs) And we'll see how these all connect together. In John chapter 4, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, but he says he's going to make a detour through Samaria. He says he has an appointment there. He wants to meet someone. Now, the person doesn't know that he's on his way to meet them. He sends his disciples off, and then he meets a Samaritan woman at a well. They're sitting there together. They're having a conversation. It is one of my most favorite Bible studies Uh, parables, not parables, stories from the Bible, is one of my all-time favorites. He is speaking with her, and she has a storied background. She is the cast-off of all society. She is the antithesis of everything that you're supposed to be. Uh, But Jesus speaks to her, and he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't bring the weight of the law against her. He doesn't bring judgment to her. And they begin to have this conversation, and he's revealing things to her. And in verse 21, Jesus responds to her and says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And And her response to that is that she knows that there will be a Messiah that comes. And then Jesus reveals to her face to face at this well, I am he. It, it is glorious. Now, you're wondering, what in the world does that have to do with Micah chapter 4? Well, I'm going to get there, but before we do, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into our text in Micah. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, the work you have done, your plans, and your future for us. We pray that you would be applying these scriptures to our lives, and we pray that we would be living lives that honor you and show you to the world, Lord. We pray that we would continue to grow in you and that you'd have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we go back from the first century to 700 B.C., 700-ish to you uh, academics out there. We remember that in the last few chapters of Micah, there has been these prophecies of judgment and condemning the rulers and the high priests and the false prophets. And there's this judgment, this overhanging judgment that the nation of Israel in the north and the nation of Judah in the south are both going to be taken captive at separate times. It's been really dark. It's been really harsh language. But then... Through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is going to speak through Micah, and chapters 4 and 5 are incredibly different. I mean the opposite. I like what J. Vernon McGee said in his commentary. He said he brings Israel to the ground so they can look up and see the stars. Because it says here in verses 1 through 3, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion the law, the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Well, if you look at verse 1, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. What does the latter days mean? The latter days is speaking of the end times. It speaks of the seven-year tribulation period. It speaks of the Lord's glorious return. And then it speaks of the thousand-year reign of Christ, where Jesus will rule and reign over the whole planet. He will restore everything as it was, and He will rule the nations. It'll be glorious. Now, there are some who think that that just means a very long time, that it's an allegory or that it's just poetic language. There are even some believers today that believe we're in the millennial kingdom. I guess they didn't read the manual. Because there's nothing that happens in millennial kingdoms happening right now. But we know that this is a literal time period, this thousand year reign of Christ. How could you say that? Well, in Revelation chapter 20, it is mentioned over and over and over again. Starting in verse 2, it says, He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, in the Greek, a thousand years means. A thousand years. Ah, you guys are Greek scholars. It's amazing. (laughs) And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ, you guessed it, for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And verses 6 and 7, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, spoiler alert, he's going to be defeated again. And then he's going to be cast in the lake of fire for eternity. Six times it's mentioned, over and over again, a thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. And so we know that it is literal. We know that this is a literal kingdom not a present kingdom. We know this because it says here in chapter 4 that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war anymore. In this millennial kingdom, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, He will not allow countries to fight anymore. Fun fact, in front of the United Nations today, this verse is written... But there's a problem. When did the United Nations get created after World War II? It was created so that man could get together, and in our knowledge and in our wisdom, we could keep peace so that we could stop these conflicts from happening that would cause the death of millions. How well are we doing? Today, we spend more money on weapons and armies than any time in human history. It's not working very well. Why? Because Jesus is not ruling and reigning. These things are not happening, but they will. Now, Isaiah, he prophesies about this as well in chapter 2. In fact, some Bible scholars wonder if Isaiah copied Micah or if Micah copied Isaiah. I guess they're forgetting that it's the same author inspiring them both. So the whole argument is just a waste of time. But in Isaiah chapter 2, it says, The word of, that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem... Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths, for out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to take off for a minute. Because there's two types of people. There are those that they study end times, and they study prophecy, and they get so excited over the academics of it, and they want to argue with our mid-tribulational brothers and our all-millennial brothers, and they want to go and they want to argue the academics of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to know the doctrines of Scripture. There are some that want to over-spiritualize everything. They don't want to know the academics. They just want to know the spiritual part of it. And they don't even worry about those doctrines. But if there's anything I want you to get from today's sermon, it is this. It is that we have a literal, physical hope for the future, and we have a spiritual, present hope in the future. Because just like Jesus told that woman at the well, we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we need to combine those two. You are wondering, what in the world does Micah chapter 4 have to do with a Samaritan harlot? And the answer is this. One day in the future, we will literally, emphasis on literally, be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And we will sit with him on a mountain, and we will receive instruction from him the same way that she received instruction from the mouth of Jesus, the incarnate God. He talked with her, and she talked with him, and you and I will literally do the same. See, we have a literal hope, and we have a present hope. It says that we will all go up to the mountain of the Lord's house and established on the top of the mountains." Everybody has experienced a a time where you're at a friend's house or a family's house or a mentor's house. You're just sitting in the living room, you're just chatting, and you're receiving that instruction. Imagine you're doing that with the Lord himself. Because you will physically be with him, and when he looks at you with those eyes, he knows every thought you have ever thought. He's counted every hair on your head. He knows everything about you, every molecule, every every single thing that you've gone through. And you will be sitting with Him and communing with Him and having that interaction with Him. And I'm here to tell you today that not only do we have that future hope, but we have a present hope through faith in Christ. You see, in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Present he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake we can have that same fellowship with him now in hebrews it says that we come boldly to the throne of grace through him and he now restores our soul And leads us by green pastures and still waters. And we also have a future hope when we will physically be with him as well. But there's more. It gets even better. Let's read verses 4 and 5 together. It says, But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, this illustration that Micah using is really lost on us. So let's roll it back a little bit. What, what is he talking about here? He, when he says, Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If you go back in time to these agrarian societies and you have a vineyard or you have sheep or you are cultivating a crop, every day of your life you're looking out that window. Is there something destroying it? Is there pests? Are there animals? You're weeding it. You're tending it. Are there thieves who are going to come in and steal your crop? Very common in that time period. And your livelihood is at stake. Your money, your food, if your family is going to make it through the winter, all rely on that crop. But then Micah comes and he gives us this illustration of sitting under the vine and the fig tree. The illustration is that it's full of fruit. It's done. The harvest is ready and no one shall make them afraid. This is true rest. Just the grace of sitting with God, knowing that the work is done and it's protected and it's safe. You can let your guard down. You can sit with him. How do we know that these things are true? How do we know that these things are going to happen? Because at the end of verse 4, it says, For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. He does it. You see, the United Nations thinks that if man gets together and we hold our hands and sing kumbaya, that we can make the society that God is talking about here. But we know from the book of Judges on Wednesday, we know from Micah chapter 1-3, through three, you leave us to ourselves and we will mess everything up. But because of the Lord's grace and because of His work, He will never leave nor forsake Israel. He will never leave nor forsake us. I want to remind you the context in which this is written. Micah has just told them for three chapters their present nature, their nation, their culture, their people are going to be overwhelmed and taken over by the Assyrians in the north. In the south, Judah will be taken over by the Babylonians in about 100 years. Now, we have a hard time identifying with that. You know, I'm a history nerd, and, you know, it's like names and places and things. We don't always put ourselves in the sandals, so to speak. What would happen if a nation invaded the United States? There'd be a nuclear holocaust. I mean, we're talking the end of time if somebody invaded our nation. Well, what if they came to our town? You see, when Micah is saying these things, the people that are hearing this in the audience, they're going to lose loved ones. They're going to lose their town. They're going to lose their government. They're going to lose their money and their finances. It's all about to be wiped out. And he's saying these things are going to happen. And then the Lord impresses upon his heart in chapters four and five to tell him, but there's a glorious kingdom, but there's hope, but the Lord is going to do this thing. And it's going to happen because he says so. Now, this kingdom is going to be so glorious that in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7 and 10, it says, Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double, everlasting joy shall be theirs. Now, we're going to do an exercise. I want you to take that word, theirs. And I want you to put mine. Everlasting joy shall be mine. You will literally be in this kingdom. It is a literal hope, and it's a spiritual one because you have it now. Remember Psalm 23. He is our shepherd. He guides and directs us now. Oh, it's not done. He continues in verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's given to us freely. It's in this time of great trial right before this great destruction that the Lord is sharing these hopes. As McGee said, remember, on the ground in the darkness being able to look up and see the stars. But knowing that we will be there ourselves. All who call upon the name of the Lord in this age of grace shall be saved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord, you and I will be present with him. We will be able to sit with him in Jerusalem. We will be able to sit with him the same way that the Samaritan woman was able to ask him questions. He will know everything that we've ever done. He will know everything that we are. He will know the reason that we were created. He will be able to express to us the reasons we went through our trials. Only He can do that. We see Israel, and the Lord chooses Israel. And what did they do to deserve this? Nothing. Are they a smarter people, a better people? Are they more genetically enhanced than other people? Absolutely not. The Scripture shows us He probably picked the runt of the litter, like He did with King David. But why does He do that for? To show us that in spite of our weaknesses and our failures, he will never leave nor forsake us. That in the, in the Jewish nation at this time, was in idolatry, was walking away from the Lord, was ripping each other off, was trying to be like the pagans themselves. And there's a judgment coming, but he will restore them. And not only is he going to restore them and bring them back as a nation, he has this future hope in the last days, a literal hope. So much so that Isaiah in chapter 40, verses 1 through 2, will say, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know, when we talk about the millennial kingdom and we talk about tribulation and prophecy, We talk about the academics, and we talk about our future hope. When the rubber hits the road, as they say, when you're in front of someone that's had a real trial, when you're in front of a young lady who's been raped, she does not care. She does not care about any of those things. What does she ask the pastor? Why did God allow this to happen to me? What is this all about? And you say, I can respond back, no, not with academics and show out the timeline. I can say, I don't know. I don't know. But when I get to an area that I don't know, I stick to what I do know. And that is one day you and I will be at the master's feet. And we will be in his presence. And he has redeemed us. And he has redeemed you. He will make all things new. And he will wipe away every tear from your eye with his hand and he will look into you and he will know the reason you were created and he will give us the reason why this happened and we will understand but we don't have that today I don't have that answer for you today but I do have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to know that he gave himself for you to pay the price and that's that's the key here what is the ticket how do we purchase I know some of you guys are late to everything. You know, the bus is leaving, you're running to catch up. And you may be worried that you're going to miss this bus. That obviously Pastor Mike is talking about somebody else. I'm not talking about, no, no. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's why I speak about the Samaritan woman. She's not even Jewish. She worships on the wrong hill. She's had five husbands. She's living in adultery. She's everything that should be rejected. And Jesus goes out of his way to go speak with her. And he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't bully her. He doesn't drop religion on her. He simply speaks into her life and reveals that one day she will worship God, because he's made a way of salvation. He is the Messiah. He reveals himself to her. You may be like Israel or Judah today. You're overcome. You're full of idolatry. You're going to the world. You're compromising. You have mental warfare, spiritual warfare. Your soul is in anguish. You're hurting. You're overwhelmed. Shoot, you might just be greedy. Remember the nation of Israel leaders? they just ripping off everyone to get ahead. Maybe you're just greedy. You lost your way. And yes, you know, we, that as we sow, that shall we also reap. But we have an ever-present hope in times of trouble, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that no matter where we are, he will redeem us. That hope that we're speaking of this morning is true for every believer, whether they know it or not. Because of the two most important words of all of Scripture, but God. God. But Jesus, He is calling us to Himself. Now, Micah does a really good job, like he's inspired by the Holy Spirit or something, of overlapping the future prophecies and the present prophecies. And right now, we're going to see where they intersect, and then they'll separate for a moment. But in verses 6 through 8, it says, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So what is he talking about? I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. Remember, they're about to be taken into captivity. There's only going to be a remnant left, but he's going to restore them. Remember, that is their present problem. They're going to go through great difficulty. Nothing changes there. But they do have a future hope. Now, it says here in verse 8, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. And it says in verse 8, O tower of the flock. That tower of the flock, it's O migdal eder. It means the watchtower that looks over the sheep. So they sit up there to make sure the wolves don't come. And he's going to gather them together to Jerusalem. But I want to hone in on one verse in this entire section. I want to, vote. I want to hone in on one verse. It's in verse 8. It says, to you shall it come. To you shall it come. Yes, he's speaking of Israel. He's speaking of the nation that he loves. And he's going to use Israel as a, a light to show us his grace. But he's speaking to you. To you shall it come. These promises from God, they're yes and amen because he said so. Regardless of who you are, what your past is, what you're dealing with right now. And it's not just a future hope it is a present hope that we have in christ that you can experience even now through faith alone in christ alone as it said in ephesians not by works this golden ticket is free because he purchased it to you shall it come he will gather us as a remnant i don't know what's going to happen But I can promise you this, the same thing that Israel has promised here. They're going to go through pain and difficulty and heartache and hardship. And in our lives, we're going to experience the same thing, pain, difficulty, hardship, great blessings, great times of joy, great times of celebrations. All these things are true. They're intertwined in our life. But we have a future hope, knowing that it all works together for the good for those that love him. And that he has a personal relationship with you. And you will be face to face with the king. Just the same way as they were in the scripture. To you shall it come. And now in verses 9 through 13, he's going to go to their local issue. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion. Like a woman in birth pangs, for now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered, there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now also many nations have gathered against you, who say, let her be defiled, and let, her, let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to a threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron, I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many people. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord, and their substance to the Lord. Of the whole earth and so there we go we, we, we see it and to Babylon you shall go the, the nation of Israel is not going to continue to exist the way that it is here when Micah is prophesying these things that nation is not going to exist in another hundred years the Babylonians do come in they do take them over they wipe them out there's pain there's suffering there's heartache there's hurt and the Lord does that because he's going to break them of this lifestyle of this pagan idolatry after the 70 years of captivity, the nation of Israel will never suffer of idolatry ever again. Not in the same way. Not in the same way. And so the Lord had a plan and a purpose in it. But He redeems them, He delivers them from their enemies. Again, we could look at this academically and historically, but we need to apply it personally. He will redeem us, He will bring us home. Yes. We still have hard lives to live, but he's going to see us through. The captivity is still between them and the millennial kingdom, but to those he was writing at that time, we will be in the millennial kingdom with them. These words are literal. We will share that experience with them. We will go up to the mountain together, and we will spend time with our Lord as he looks into our eyes and we look into his as he wipes our tears. How is he going to wipe all our tears at the same time? I've got no idea, but he's got a long time to do it. It'll be fun to find out. The only way that we can do this is as the Holy Spirit was writing in Paul in Romans chapter 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the holy spirit. But we live we leave here this morning having the literal hope and the present hope, the future hope and our present hope in our times of trouble. And we know that the lord through his spirit, through his work, not of our works lest we should boast, fills us with what does it say there? all joy and peace in believing And we can abound in hope by the power of what? The Holy Spirit. How do we have this hope? Because the Lord said it will be so. Remember that in our first few verses? Because the Lord spoke. We trust Him and not ourselves. We leave here today, hopefully, growing in an understanding of the biblical doctrines, but also a personal application. If you came here and you're hurting and you're broken, and you're confused, and you have the stains of the world, and you're going through these trials, that you can simply ask the Lord and sit with Him, and He'll lead you by still waters and green pastures. He is an ever-present hope in times of trouble. And then one day, when we walk up to that mountain together, and you sit with Him, He will give you the answers you seek. And boy, will it be a joy for all of us to see. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for your work, the work that you're doing in all of us. We pray that your spirit would continue to move and that we would leave here full of hope, full of grace, full of your spirit to go out and to face the day. We thank you that all your promises are yes and amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And there are brothers and sisters up here to pray with you. If you've got some business to do with the Lord, come on up pray with us. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.